Well, good morning to those of you who may be watching online or by television and those of you who are in the room. First of all, a couple of little housekeeping items. Number one, I want to wish all of you a very, very happy Thanksgiving. I know some of you will be probably traveling out of, tra out of town and some of you will be like me staying in town and you've got about 40,000 relatives coming and uh, we're expecting about 40 people at my house this year. So uh, it's going to be, a, we have a, a clan that gathers at my house. It's a sweet time, but I do hope you have a very blessed Thanksgiving, number one. Number two, next Sunday, we will be observing the Lord's Supper. And that's one of the very special times in our church. And so I hope that those of you who will either be back in town or will, will stay in town will be there for that. And then number three, let me go ahead and tell you about uh, Christmas. Uh, since we're already in the Christmas, in fact, we, according to America, we've been in Christmas since July. I don't know if you've noticed it or not. But um, the hardest part for a pastor that's been pastoring for a long time is Christmas. And I say this with all respect to the Lord Jesus. I never, ever say anything disrespectful to Jesus. But, you know, think about it. How much can you say about a baby in a cradle after 45 years of being a pastor? It's just kind of hard. So when I plan my preaching out, I always save Christmas for last because it's the toughest thing. You don't want to be creative. I don't want to retread old stuff. Well, the Lord, back in August, gave me this idea, and I'm so pumped. I've already done my messages. But let me tell you what we're going to be talking about in December. How many of you remember the old song, All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth? How many of you remember that song? Okay. Well, that's going to be the title of my series, not Two Front Teeth. The title of my series is going to be All I Want for Christmas. And God gave me three gifts that I want for Christmas that are unlike any other gifts anybody could ever give you. As a matter of fact, nobody can give you these gifts except Him. And they are gifts that last forever. They're gifts that you will take with you forever. And I'm not going to tell you what they are, I just kind of whet your appetite, but I'm just letting you know, please invite your friends, invite your neighbors. It's going to be, I think, one of the coolest Christmas series I've ever done in my life. And then last week, we told you for a number of reasons, doesn't really affect you, but we're going to be changing the, our 11 o'clock service to a 1045 service because it gives us, then we don't have 30 minutes between the first service and second service, which really kind of is kind of dead time for us. And then number two is, you know, we are sick and tired, as I told you last week. I get letters all the time, would you please help us beat the Methodists and the Presbyterians to the cafeteria? So we're finally, after 45 years, I have heard you. So we're going to be going to a 1045 hour, and I appreciate that, you being understanding about that. There is a bank. It is the largest direct bank in America. It wasn't that way 20 years ago. As a matter of fact, 21 years ago, nobody had ever heard of this bank, and this bank has exploded. And one of the things that put them on the map is they developed the most, one of the most successful advertising campaigns in the history of this country. That is still ongoing. It has caused their credit card part of their bank to explode, and it all came because they just asked, one four-word question. What's in your wallet? And it has exploded. And the commercials are hilarious, and the commercials are funny. I love them. And you know, it's an interesting question because it was a slick way of planning in our minds that whether or not what we had in our wallet was really what we need and what we need to get what we want out of life. And even though those commercials are slick, and even though they ask, a great question, I think they imply the wrong answer. And let me tell you why. It's because of something that Jesus said 2,000 years ago. Now, I'm going to make a bold statement. I'm going to prove it to you. I know what's in your wallet. 
right now. I'm not a mind reader. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't have magical powers. But I know what's in your wallet. I got news for you. If you know what Jesus said, you know what's in my wallet. Because we all have the same thing in our wallet. We know what's in everybody's wallet. You know why? Because there's only one of two things in your wallet. Your money or your heart. That's what's in your wallet right now. Your money or your heart. Say, so how do you know that? Because of one statement, statement that Jesus made in the greatest sermon ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. If you brought a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn right now to the book of Matthew. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. There's hardly an imp any important part of your life that Jesus doesn't talk about in the Sermon on the Mount. As a matter of fact, down in the future, I'm not sure when, I'm going to preach through the Sermon on the Mount. It is the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. And one of the things that Jesus talks about in the sermon is money. And Jesus taught a principle about money that I believe is the single most important principle ever taught that you'll ever learn about your money, about your finances, about your possessions, about your stuff. We're in Matthew chapter 6. He begins with these words. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, we're going to break down what Jesus said here in just a moment, but he's setting up something that all of us ought to remember about wealth, because it really does reveal what's in everybody's wallet. So he says this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, Jesus makes a strong statement. He said, it's kind of like this. He said, your money is like a magnet, and your heart is like iron. So wherever your money goes, your heart is going to be attracted to that place. In other words, what he's saying is, you can't separate your faith from your finances. It's impossible. You can't separate your heart from your wealth. You can't separate your heart from your wallet. You can't separate your faith from your finances. Now, I know when a preacher preaches this, I've been in the business too long. I know some of you start thinking, the one Sunday I decide to go to church, you're talking about money. Let me put you at ease. This message is not primarily about money. It's about managing money. The issue we're going to talk about is not money. Let me just make this very plain. Jesus had no issue with money, none. He had no issue with you having money, none. That's not the issue. The issue is not having money. The issue is managing money. And people don't realize something about what the Bible says about money. The Bible doesn't put a big emphasis on giving money. The Bible puts a big emphasis on managing money. And if you think about it, you realize why. You can't give money unless you make money, right? Everybody knows that. You can't give it if you don't make it. But if you don't manage it properly, you won't give it. So God's wise. God says, look, I know what the deal is. As a matter of fact, God created money. God is the one that gives us money. He says, I, that's not the issue. How do you manage money? So that begs the question, okay, pastor, what is the key to managing money? All right, very simple. One sentence. Money is to be mastered 
and then managed. If you're one of those people who today would be honest enough to say, you know, Pastor, I just don't know how to manage my money. Can I tell you why you don't? It's not because you're stupid. It's not because you're dumb. It's not because you need a financial degree. It's not because you've got to have an accounting degree like I happen to have. It's not that you have to go to college to do it. The number one reason why you've never been able to, man to manage your money is because you've never come to a point where you know how to master your money. When you master your money, then you will manage your money. The reason why millions of people listen to people like Dave Ramsey every single day is because they admit, I just don't know how to manage my money. I know how to make it. And boy, do we know how to spend it. And we know how to borrow it. But some of us, too, unfortunately, never have learned to manage it. They don't know how to manage it. And because they've never managed their money, they've never mastered their money, they've never managed their money. So we're going to learn today from the greatest financial counselor of all time how to master our money so then we can manage our money. And then when we manage our money, how to manufacture ministry out of our money. Because the ultimate goal for money is ministry. God's given what we have so we can use it in turn to bless others. So with all of that as a backdrop, three very simple ways on how to manage your money. Number one, you've got to store your money strategically. You've got to store your money strategically. Now listen again to these two verses. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where the thieves do not break in and steal. Now here's kind of interesting, something you wouldn't know. But those words, lay up and treasure, are actually in the Greek language from the same Greek word. And it's the Greek word that gives us the word thesaurus. One of the books that I have on my desk I keep all the time is a thesaurus. A, thar, a thesaurus is a treasury of words. So what Jesus literally said was this. Here's what he said literally. Don't treasure your treasures. That's what he said. Don't treasure your treasures. Now, you say, well, what is a treasure? You know, when kids hear that word, they think about the, you know, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean. Or they think about this big wooden box in Davy Jones' locker. That's not what Jesus meant. What Jesus was saying was anything that's tangible is a treasure. Anything that has a price tag to it is a treasure. If you can see it, if you can touch it, if you can measure it, if you can buy it, if you can enjoy it, if you can keep it, if you can store it, that has the potential to be a treasure. Now, notice immediately something else that we already learned from what Jesus said. It is not wrong to have money. Jesus didn't say, don't lay up any treasure. He didn't say that. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have treasures because you can't lay up what you don't have. And since we already know that everything we have is given, us, given to us by God, think about this. Everything we have is given to us by God. Well, if that's true, then if it would be wrong to have money, and wrong to have cars, and wrong to have houses, and wrong to have clothes, and wrong to, wrong to have nice things, we wouldn't be to blame. He'd be to blame because he gave it to us. So it's nothing wrong with having treasure. The problem with money and the problem with stuff and the problem with possessions, it's not, where you, it's not that you have it. It's where you put it. 
He said, it's okay to have treasures. I'm concerned with where you lay them up. And the key word, the two key words in this passage is on earth. He said, don't, don't lay up treasures on earth. In other words, Jesus is not dealing with having stuff. Nothing wrong with that. He's not dealing with making money. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with getting money. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with having money. Nothing wrong with that. He says, my concern is where you store it, where you put it. It's not what you're laying up that Jesus is concerned about. It is where you're laying it up. It's not what you have. It's what you're doing. Now, here's the question. Well, why shouldn't we lay up treasures on earth? I mean, what's the problem? What's wrong with that? Why shouldn't we take everything that we make and do what most people do with it? Pay your bills, buy anything that you want, and if there's anything left over, put all of it in the bank or put all of it in the stock market, put all of it in bonds, put all of it in real estate. Why is that such a big deal? Well, again, it's not because earthly treasures are bad. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. Jesus said, here's the problem. It won't last. You're putting your money and all of your hope in something that won't last. Because remember, we got to go back 2,000 years ago and hear what Jesus said the way the audience that he talked to would have heard it. Because when Jesus referred to treasure, if you were back there 2,000 years ago and you're just the average run-of-the-mill Palestinian person, when Jesus talked about treasure, you would have thought about two things, basically, well, three things, clothing, shelter, and food, because that's about all you had. I mean, only rich people had money. Only rich people wore fine clothes. Well, here's the problem. Your clothes can be eaten by worms. Both rich people and poor people ate bread, but rats can get into the grain and eat your bread, because the word rust literally means to eat. See, back then, there were people who had wealth in the form of gold and silver, just like we have people today, because there were no banks or vaults back in that day. Well, where would you keep your money? There's only one place you could keep it. You could keep it in your house. But most houses were made of clay and mud, and a thief could easily break through the wall and steal it. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the reason why it's a bad idea to store all of your treasures on earth is because no matter where you put it, no matter where you place it, it can ruin it can rot. It can be robbed. I mean, nature can ruin what you possess. Time can rust what you possess. People can rob what you possess. Fortune is just like fame. I mean, it's fickle. You know, last Saturday's hero is next, next season's has-been. This year's financial success is next year's bankruptcy. So Jesus is saying, look, you can put all of your money in blue-chip stocks. But the stock market can crash. You could put your cash in a steel vault. But inflation can eat the value of your money right up. You know, Yogi Bear once said a dime's not worth a nickel anymore. And it's so right. You can invest in the best real estate in the world. Go back to 2008 and tell me how that worked out for people. Today's boom can be tomorrow's bust. What Jesus is saying is, look, take everything you have. Remember two things. Either life can take away everything you have or death can take you from everything you have. So either way, it's not going to last. And now we understand why Jesus is so concerned, not about what you've got, but where you put it. So he says this, for where your treasure is, this is the problem, there your heart will be also. 
You remember I told you a moment ago, you cannot separate your faith from your finances. Let me tell you why that's true. God created this world with certain laws and certain principles. And you cannot break those laws. You cannot break those principles. Let me give you a great example. You all know this, right? You cannot break the law of gravity. You can demonstrate it. You go up to the top of the Empire State Building and jump off. You will not break the law of gravity. You will demonstrate it. You're not going to break it. I mean, there are just certain laws you just cannot break. Well, let me tell you another law you can't break. Let me tell you another principle you can't break. Where my treasure goes, my heart will flow every single time. Your treasure will not go one way and your heart go the other way. Everywhere your treasure grows, your heart will flow. Your heart will always follow your treasure. Now, you can pretend if you want to pretend. You can talk long and you can yell loud. But it doesn't matter what I say to you or what you say to me. If you want to know where your heart is, show me your credit card balance. Show me your checkbook. Show me your bank account. And I don't care what you say. You can protest all day long. Jesus said, that is where your heart is. Because it never fails. Where your treasure goes, your heart will flow. You know, there's an ancient navigational device. I don't know if you know this or not. There's an ancient navigational device that's actually more reliable than G GPS in some ways. Let me tell you why. You know this. If, if because of clouds or because maybe you're in a cave or something like that, you don't get, you cannot get satellite signal, GPS doesn't work. But there's this one device can always help you stay on course, always get you where you need to go. Sailors have used it for centuries and millennia to determine direction on the open sea. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's called a what? Called a compass. Well, why is a compass so reliable? It's 100% reliable for one simple reason. If you, we got boys and girls here who never heard this, great lesson for you to learn today. There's one thing a compass always does, always. It always points where? North, always points north. Here's what Jesus is saying. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you want to try to deny it or not, he said your heart is just like a compass. It will always point to your money. It will always point to your stuff. It will always point to your possessions. It will always point to what you have and where you put it. It will always, where your treasure goes, your heart will flow. Just as surely as a compass always points north, your heart will always follow your treasure. So Jesus said, you be very strategic where you store your money, where you put your stuff, because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So step number one, store your money strategically. That's the first way to manage your money. Number two, see your money accurately. Store your money strategically. See your money accurately. Now, Jesus goes on to kind of give us a, a lesson that's kind of weird. He says this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. We, don't need, we understand what he was saying there, right? So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, there's a million and one reasons why I love Jesus more than I love anybody I've ever known in my life. 
And there's a reason why that I, every day of my life, I, my life is, I'm not saying this to brag, my life's just consumed with Jesus. I mean, I go to bed thinking about Jesus. I get up thinking about Jesus. I, I just think about him all the day long. I, I just, I mean, I'm just being honest. I can't get enough of Jesus. And one of the reasons why I love Jesus so much, he does the most creative things. So he's talking about managing money, right? And, you, you know, I understand what he's saying. Okay, you got to be careful how you see your money. Okay, thank you, Lord, for the financial counsel. And then he says, okay, I'm not going to be your financial counsel right now. Now I want to be your ophthalmologist. You want to what? What's I got to do with my money? Oh, Jesus has everything to do with your money. Well, what do you mean? What in the world does your eye have to do with your heart, much less your money? Well, Jesus calls your eye the lamp of the body, which we know physiologically speaking is absolutely true. The only way I can see the light shining in my eyes right now is because I've got a healthy eye. If my eye were blind, I'd be in the dark. So I, get, I understand what he said physiologically. He said, look, the eye is the receptacle of the human body that lets light in so I can see. But what Jesus was saying was, it's not just a physical light. He said it is a spiritual eye, because he's not primarily talking about our physical eye, he's talking about our spiritual eye. Someone has called the eye the window of the soul. And what Jesus is saying is this, just as your eye is a window through which light comes into your body, your spiritual eye is what lets spiritual light into your soul. And what Jesus is saying here is, the light that comes into your soul and the light that comes into your heart will depend on your spiritual eye. So the spiritual condition of your eye is determined by one thing. How does your eye see money? How does your eye see money? Because remember, Jesus really goes deeper with our money than we could ever imagine. I'm going to say this one more time. He's not concerned with what you have. If you live in a $100,000 home or a million dollar home, doesn't concern him. If you've got $1,000 in the bank or $5 million in the bank, that doesn't concern him. He's not concerned about your money. He's concerned with how you see what you have. Here's why. This is another law you can't break. How you see what you have will determine where you put what you have. How you see what you have will determine where you put what you have. You will determine, it will not only determine what you do with it, it will also determine what it does to you. See, here's how it works. If you see wealth and money the way God sees wealth and money and the way God wants you to see it, then you'll do three things. You will gladly, you will gratefully, you will generally invest in God's work. You will give gladly. You know why you'll give gladly? Because you're gonna realize Everything I have is a blessing from God, but God didn't bless me to bless me. He blessed me to bless somebody else. So you'll give gladly. Hey, you gave it to me. You want me to pass it on. I get it. You'll give gratefully because you realize everything you have, God gave you, and you're just grateful God gave you anything. And then you'll give generously because you realize, you know what? When I give to God's work, I'm doing just what Jesus said. I'm laying up my treasure in heaven. And you'll not, not only do that if you see money the way money really is, you'll see money the way God really sees it. I heard somebody say something not long ago about Jesus, and I've never thought about it before. So I went back and did my read. In fact, I didn't believe it at first. But I was reading this. This has been about, I don't know, four or five years ago. I think, I don't know what, who it was. It was a pastor. 
And he made a statement. And he said, Jesus never asked for money. And I'm going to be honest, the first time I read it, I said, that can't be right. That just, that can't be right. So I went, I read all four Gospels. I, I was reading through the New Testament. And you know what I found, as far as I can tell? He is absolutely right. You will never find one record anywhere of Jesus ever asking anyone individually or collectively for money. Never. Now, I'm a smart boy. I know what you're thinking. Well, if Jesus didn't ask for money, why do you ask for money? I'll tell you why. I ain't Jesus. It's real easy. But be thankful for that. Because this is how brilliant Jesus is. You ready? He said, I'm not going to ask you for your money. Because number one, it's not your money. I want your heart. That's what I want. I want your heart. Now, I'm going to make a very, very strong statement, which I am wont to do at times. If you're one of those people who claim to be a follower of Jesus, and you claim to love the church the way Christ loved the church, and you never give one red cent to your church, he doesn't have your heart. Now you can say, he, oh, no, no, sorry. He doesn't have your heart. Because when he has your heart, then here's what you do with your money. Here's how you can know Jesus has all of your heart. When you don't hold your money like this, you hold it like this. You know he has your heart when you say, Lord, it's all yours. I'll tell you what, let's make a deal. You take what you want, I'll be happy with the rest. That's when you know, okay, now I have your heart. When Teresa and I got married 45 years ago, let me assure you of one thing. She sure didn't marry me for my money. When we went to seminary, we'd been married about four months. We went to seminary, we had $117 in the bank. And I couldn't even work because I'd had back surgery. So she, I'm taking her away from her mom, her dad, everything she'd ever known. And we're going to Louisville, Kentucky on a shoestring and faith in God. She did not marry me for my money. However, there's one thing she knew when she married me would be true. And it's true to this day. She knew everything I had was hers. There's a lot of ways I failed her as a husband. There's one thing I've never failed in 45 years of marriage. Anything Teresa's ever wanted, and she wants for very little, I've moved heaven and earth to make sure that I gave it to her. And the reason is very simple. Because when we got married 45 years ago, I gave her my heart. And she knew, if I've got your heart, I don't have to worry about anything else. So I'm going to say this one more time. Jesus could not care less about what you have in your wallet. It's not even on his radar screen. It doesn't cause him one bit of anxiety. What he cares about is this. How are you storing it? Where are you storing it? And how do you see it? Because how you see it will determine where you're storing it. It's not the amount that you have. It's the attitude you have toward the amount that you have that concerns Jesus. And Jesus simply said, if your eye is healthy and you see what you have correctly, your money will go where it ought to go because your heart will flow where it ought to flow. So you store your money strategically. Not going to let up on earth, going to let up in heaven. You see your money accurately. It's his. It all belongs to him. 
And I'm not to be a dam that keeps it all to myself. I'm to be a reservoir to let it flow to other people. And then here's the third key to managing your money, and we'll be done. You've got to subdue your money vigorously. Now, I really, really labored on that last point. I said, God, I, I got to say this in the strongest way I can. So Jesus summarizes everything he says with this last sentence. And hopefully, when I say what I'm about to say and I repeat what he said, you'll say, okay, I'm starting to get it. He said, no one can serve two masters. Now, I took logic when I was in college and seminary. And I've told you, I've always wanted to be a lawyer. That's just the way I think. And so one of the things I always ask about a statement or a question is, what is the statement behind the statement? Or, or what is the question behind the question? Because there's always usually a statement behind the statement. And there's always usually a question behind the question. So when Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, he's actually begging a conclusion which is accurate. He says, you're going to serve one. That's the assumption. You're going to serve one, but you can't serve two. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Remember what I said earlier. Money will not be managed until it is first mastered. First you master it, then you manage it. Because here's the cold truth that Jesus is telling us. I can tell every one of you right now what relationship you have to your money. Either you are master over your money, or your money is master over you. There's no in-between. Either you are master over your money, or your money is master over you. Kind of interesting, the word that, the Greek word that, that Jesus used here for money, some of you have this in your translation, the name is mammon. In the old King James, it says mammon. That's actually the way it shall be translated. Because you know what mammon was? Mammon was the Greek god for money. It literally means possessing property. That's why most translations use the word mammon. And I wish they, wish they did. You know why? Because this is something we don't realize. Do you understand that material things have unbelievable spiritual power? If you don't believe that, you don't raise your hand on this. How many of you know people who used to be down to earth they used to be approachable. They used to act like they were just ordinary people, no better than anybody else. But they started making a lot of money. And all of a sudden, you can't get a hold of them anymore. And all of a sudden, they don't return your phone calls. And all of a sudden, they don't treat you like they used to, even though you both graduated from high school together. And something totally changed. I'll tell you what changed. It was the money. And that's why you need to remember about all the stuff that you own and all the stuff that you buy and all the stuff that you store and all the stuff that you share. It's all got tremendous spiritual power. That's why the very first commandment God gave was, don't you have any other God before me? And the number one God in America that's replaced God is money and power and influence. And by the way, when he said you shall have no other gods before me, that's not just a statement of choice. It's a statement of impossibility. You, you can't serve a true God and a false God. You can work for more than one employer. You cannot serve two masters. I mean, there are certain things in life nobody can do, right? You can't walk in two directions at the same time. You, you can't think two thoughts at the same time. You cannot serve 
two masters at the same time. This is not a question of advisability. Jesus didn't say, you know, you really shouldn't serve both God and money. It's not a question of advisability. It's not even a question of accountability. Jesus didn't say, you must not serve God and money. Jesus said, it is a matter of impossibility. You cannot serve God and money. So this is why I love what Jesus, Jesus put everything in such great perspective. I've, you've heard it said, I, heard it, I used to hear it say when I was a kid, I didn't know it for a while, I thought it was in the Bible, but it's not. People think the Bible says money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. What does the Bible say? The love of money. Money's not a problem. Money's neutral. Not the money's root. It is the love of money. It is not a sin to have money. It's not a sin to make a lot of money. What the sin is, what the problem is, is when you serve your money. It was when you allow money to become your master. And Jesus said, if you don't store your money in the right place, and you don't see your money in the right way, you will serve it as the wrong master. And there's nothing wrong with having treasure as long as you invest that treasure in the right place. So I'm going to close the message with a question that we started with. What's in your wallet? Your heart or your money? And here's the problem. Your wallet was never designed to carry your heart. Never. The only place you ought to put your heart is in the hands of the God that has given you your money. Can I get an amen to that? Don't put, your, don't put your heart in money. Put your heart in the hands of the God that gave you your money. Your heart belongs to God. It belongs to the kingdom of God. It belongs to the God of the kingdom. And when you give him your heart, you will master your money. And when you master your money, you will manage your money. And when you manage your money, you will manufacture ministry out of your money. And guess what? God will be blessed people will be blessed and you will get the greatest blessing of all. Would you pray with me right now with heads bowed and eyes closed? If you think this is so important, hear me. If you really think this message was about money, you missed it. It's not about money. It's about your heart. Jesus wants your heart. That sweet lady, Kathy, that we baptized a moment ago, she came to the green room before she was baptized. I got a chance to talk with her. She was giving her testimony how she gave her heart to Christ, how she's trusting God with her very life. Jesus did not die on a cross, and he did not come back from the grave to get your money. He died on a cross and came back from the grave to get your heart. So I ask you today, have you ever truly given your heart to Jesus? If you haven't, you're watching me right now by computer or on an iPad or a cell phone or a television. Are you sitting in this room right now? You say, you know, I haven't. And I know I haven't. But I would like to. Then would you just tell him that right now? In your own words, or you could use mine, would you just say something like this to Jesus right now? Would you say, Lord Jesus, 
today, I give you my heart. I give you all of my heart. I surrender all that I am to all that you are. I trust you today as my Lord. I receive you right now as my Savior. And Lord, with your help, I'm only going to serve one master the rest of my life, and that's you. Forgive me of my sins. I repent and turn away from my sins. I accept your gift of eternal life. And I thank you for coming into my heart today. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, God kept his part of the bargain and God saved you. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do right now. If you're in this room, you can do one of two things. Here's what I'd really like to ask you to do. If you prayed to give your heart to Christ just then, you may be a little boy, a little girl, grown man, grown woman, it doesn't matter. If you say, hey, pastor, I prayed with you just then. I asked Jesus into my heart. When this service is over, here's what I want you to do. If you meant it, you, you won't mind doing this. In the lobby, there's a table called Connection Point. I want you to go out to the lobby to that table. Here's what I want you to tell the people out there. All you got to say is this. Today, I gave Jesus my heart. Today, I trusted Jesus with my heart. Something like that's all you'll need to say. That's it. They'll know exactly what next steps you need to take because there's always a next step with Jesus. They'll tell you exactly what next step you need to take. and They'll help you get started in your walk with God. Now, there may be some of you today, you may say, you know, I, I don't need to do that. I have given Jesus my heart. Have you followed Christ in baptism like Kathy did? Do you know that's the very next step? Did you know one of the greatest signs you've given your Jesus your heart is you let people know publicly you've given Jesus your heart? And the number one way God wants you to do that publicly is by being baptized. Well, no, I've not done that. Then I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to go out to that table today and just say to one of those people out there that will be waiting on you, Hey, I've been saved. I've trusted Jesus, but I've never been biblically baptized, and I would love to do that. We'll be baptizing Christmas Eve. I'm going to be baptizing. It'll be a great time for you to be baptized if you've never done that. You just go out there and say, hey, sign me up for Christmas Eve baptism. Or it may be that you've been saved and baptized, but you're not a member of this church. You need to, this is where you've been coming. This is where God wants you. You need to be a part of our fellowship here. I'm going to ask you to go out there and say, hey, you know, I've, I've been coming, but I need to get involved. I need to start serving, and I need to really be a part of the family here. Or maybe you've got a spiritual need. You're hurting. Maybe in financial difficulty. You need God to intervene. I don't know. If you go to that table, all you need is just somebody to pray with you over a problem. They'll be more than happy to do that. Now, if you're watching online, or if you're in the building, you can do this. But if you're watching online and you made a decision today for Christ or you need to be baptized or you'd like to start being a part of our church, here's what I want you to do. You can either go to our website. It's crosspointchurch.com slash decision. Do that right now. Or just text Jesus, the name Jesus, to 678-255-2566. Here's what will happen. When you go to that site, there will be someone there that will deal with you, that will be able to give you some props and some next steps for you to take with the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would just continue to keep your hand on our fellowship. And Lord, I hope people understand one day we're all going to stand before you, every one of us. We're going to give an account of our treasure, not what we had, but where we put it. And Lord, I don't want anybody in this room 
to stand before you and have you ask this simple question. Why did you put your treasure where I told you not to put your treasure? Lord, my prayer would be that you would look at our people and the people that love you and know you. And you'd look at what they did with their treasure and you'd say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we close our service here, come on up, Scott. As we close our service here in a moment with, uh, with a song, this is a kind of a lighthearted thing. I, I watched the clock back there. For Thanksgiving, and I want you to be thankful, I finished two minutes early today. So that is your Thanksgiving gift today for you. But in all seriousness, if you're thankful, if you're thankful for what Jesus has done for you, show Jesus your gratitude by talking to your one or someone. You're not going to bother me. Come on up. Talking to your one. So I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to tell you how easy it is. We had guys we working at our house this past week, and I'd gone to Kentucky last Monday, and I'd gotten in Tuesday afternoon, so I was still dressed up. You know, so I do dress up sometimes, okay? People are getting married or buried, I dress up. But most of the time, I'm like this, but because I was preaching in Kentucky, you know, I had on a sport coat and a nice pair of slacks and, and, and all, and, and kind of had prints on. So I'm walking down the driveway, and this guy's working in my yard, and he stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, well, that's a boss move right there. So what? Man, those slacks. He's, man, that's a boss move. I'd never heard that. It's like, boss move. I said, really? Said, oh, man, that's a boss move you got on there, boss. Oh, really? So I went into the house. I got to thinking about it. I got my little best news card. And I walked back out. His name was Kyle. I said, hey, Kyle. I said, man, I'm going to put a boss move on you. He's going to do what? I'm going to put a boss move on you. So what are you talking about? I said, there's only one boss. His name is Jesus. And this card will tell you how you can have a relationship with that real boss. So I want you to read that card for me. I had to leave, and I said, I'll be back. So I left, and I came back. He's in the driveway, and he's still working. I got up about six feet from him. He got up, and he came over to hug my neck. He said, I made my, I got the boss. I got the boss. It's that easy. You know why I do that? I don't do that to brag. I don't do that to, I'm not, I'm not clapping myself on the back. Let me just say this, and I'm done, because this is my Thanksgiving for me. I'm more thankful every day for what Jesus has done for me. I'm more thankful every day for what Jesus has done in me. I'm more thankful every day for what Jesus does through me. And Lord, out of gratitude for you, I want to tell others what he can do for them. So would you stand to your feet right now? We're going to close with worship. By the way, y'all did a great job today. So enjoy and have a great Thanksgiving.